Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. Joining me today is a special guest in the sense that he is a repeat guest of the podcast, and I count him as both a client and a friend. Philip Russell joins me today uh, from Ogletree Deacons. Hi, Philip. Jay, good to be back. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, of course. It's always a pleasure to speak to you in any context, but I like uh, doing it as a podcast recording for sure. Um, Let me just give people a little more background on you uh, so that we can set the stage for this discussion. So um, Philip is a board certified OSHA and employment lawyer. Uh, He is the host of his own podcast, the Dirty Steel Toe Toe Boots podcast. And in my opinion, he's one of the best thought leaders on LinkedIn and elsewhere in the marketplace of ideas in the legal industry. Um, So Philip, uh, I want to start and we're going to get into a lot of that, including a uh, a trifecta of awards you were um, honored with this past June, which in some ways prompted this discussion. But before we talk about that, I just want to talk about something that's completely uh, separate, or maybe not. Uh, It's probably integrated into some of what you do as a practicing lawyer, but um, you are an avid spear fisherman uh, down in the Gulf of Mexico, I know, uh, from our various conversations. And I've always been um, intrigued, fascinated, and in some cases terrified by the idea of that. Um, particularly since I am very, I, I, I hate to say it, but I'm, I'm definitely scared of uh, sharks out in the, out in the ocean. So how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, well, I mean, I do. So yeah, it is, I love diving for, I've been scuba diving since 1991, love to dive no matter where I go, but I enjoy spearfishing, which is, yeah, that's where I, you know, put a tank on my back, jump off a boat in shark infested waters and go shoot grouper and snapper and hogfish and whatever else happens to be, uh, happens to be out there. So we, we do encounter sharks, but I'll, Jay, I'll tell you that uh, they're just part of, that's just part of spearfishing and scuba diving. You'll run into sharks, but I will tell you, I've got a strategy here. And uh, my strategy is, uh, out of, out of, I always make sure that I dive with non-lawyers because out of a professional courtesy, sharks leave me alone. So <laughs> it, it, yeah, I know the put on bum, right? I mean, that All works right. great at seminars, <laughs> not really in the, not really in the Gulf, but it works great at seminars, right? <laughs> All right, good. I'm glad you got that strategy in place. Sounds like a good one. I'll keep that in mind if I ever find myself out on the uh, out in the deep ocean. So, all right, but let, let's transition um, now to talking about the main topic we're going to discuss, which is uh, client service. And this is always a, an important hot topic for lawyers. It's key to um, establishing and maintaining relationships with clients. And um, and as I alluded to previously, uh, something in particular prompted this discussion was. You, you won uh, an impressive trifecta of awards in, in June, including um, Client Service All-Star uh, from BTI Consulting Group. Um, you were uh, ranked in chambers, as well as you were honored by uh, the College of Labor and Employment Lawyers. And, um, and we, we actually had a coaching call in June to talk about that. And it, it, I think in that conversation in particular, um, you know, you you discussed how really client service is really at the foundation of of both your growing legal practice and any recognition you might be getting from clients like that. So um, let's start there and talk about what you uh, term your quote down the hall approach to client service. 
Um, can you just talk a little bit about what you mean by that to sort of set the stage for us getting deeper on the issue of client service moving forward? Yeah, Jay, great question. And and really what I mean by the down the hall services, I, I guess uh, maybe it's an old school view of offices, you know, back when we would go to those things, go to those places. And um, I just envision that if my client is sitting in his or her office um, and they just need help right now because they're internal, and I'm thinking now of an in-house, you know, counsel client, you know, somebody's in charge of OSHA or employment matters, and they've got a problem that needs to be solved. I just imagine, well, you know, if if I'm sitting in an office right down the hall from them, I'm going to get up out of my chair, you know, or if they come into my office, I'm going to give them my full attention right then and there. And so I, that's how I visualize it for myself is how can I give this person my full attention? I don't think you can do the same thing when I visualize it through, you know, email responsiveness or phone calls or whatnot um, or text messages. To me, I just visualize what would I be doing if I were standing right here in front of that person? So that's what I meant. But yeah, June was crazy, my friend. I mean, I remember calling you about it. And number one, you know, I'm going to give you the shameless plug here since you may not do it yourself, but your coaching over the last few years has certainly been helpful in helping me up my game um, to get those uh, those three things. I, you know, all three were amazing honors and recognition. BTI, I want to give a particular shout out to because it was such an eye opener because you cannot submit for BTI. It is organic in that they do a survey and the participants are in-house lawyers. That's where they focus on. And they had to fill in the blank. So there was no drop down menu or suggested names. And so to for clients to uh, to think of me in that context really uh, told me that I was, you know, at least getting better than I ever had been before on doing client service at a level that clients need that adds value. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and and well deserved. Uh, thank you for the shout out, but not necessary. And all the all credit goes to you. But in any event, so building upon that. If we think about client service, I mean, it, one of the things I think we need to think about is client service really is uh, kind of a one size fits one thing. And we need to think about it from the client's perspective. And there's, there's probably some general principles and best practices that apply you know, across the spectrum, but also some things that are unique in particular to the needs and desires of a, of a client. Um, I, I guess maybe, can you speak to you know, maybe what you see as, are there certain bedrock principles lawyers need to think about when it comes to client service. And then um, if you agree with the idea that, you know, maybe not every client's different, but many of them are, and it might be little, you know, peculiarities or nuances about how they want to be served. Um, how do you go about figuring out what that, those things are? Maybe it's as simple as having a conversation, but just maybe it's a little bit of a two-part question, but maybe we could start with general principles if you have some in mind. Yeah, you know, I do. And I think one of the first things that comes to mind is, is being practical. And, you know, understanding that your client has a business. I mean, if you're in, in the line of work I'm in, I've got clients that are business clients and whether they are business executives, in-house lawyers, or, you know, someone in safety or HR, they've got a business to run. And I need to understand that business. I need to understand what are their pressures? What are the things that, you know, you've heard the cliche, what keeps them up at night? Uh, but what are the what are the issues that they face? And then speak in those terms and help them make decisions based upon information that may not be diff that may not be easy. But we need to make it simple. I think as lawyers, that's one of the biggest challenges we have is not to show someone how much detail we have command over, but is to be able to interpret the detail from the legal system, give it to a client in a practical way, showing we understand the business and help them make a decision and go. 
and move. I mean, business is about movement. Lawyers sometimes are the department of, you know, no, we need to be the department of how, and how means also now. So we need to help them move along. So I think being practical, I think getting, understanding the business, you've heard it said before, Jay, being resourceful. And what I mean by being resourceful is, and this is an expansion in, in my world, is I may not be the perfect solution to your current problem. You know, if it's an OSHA fatality, I, I probably am, given the experience and depth I've gone to there with over 200 of those and hundreds of other kinds. But I've got partners that handle other things in employment law that I that I rely upon all the time. And so I may not be able to solve the client's problem myself, but if not, I need to get them in front of someone who can, again, now, let's move, let's get it going, let's help these folks make their business decision and move on. Yeah, makes sense. What about uh, what about issue of responsiveness? I mean, there's a lot of discussion about what it means, what responsiveness means, um, you know, somewhat, you know, contextual dependent, but how do you think about responsiveness? And, and I'll add one, one additional element to this, which is um, I, I think there's a, a, an important role for responsiveness in, in bit, capitalizing on new opportunities as well, not just getting back to clients with a question related to an active legal matter, but how do you think about responsiveness? Because I think that's probably a pillar of client service for many, from, from many clients' perspective. Well, it certainly is a matter of time. So speed counts, it, it really does. Um, and responsiveness is also not just a matter of how fast do you get back to the client, but do you get back to the client with what the client needs? Mm -hmm. And if you're getting back to the client quickly, but you're not addressing the issue, or if you're just raising more problems and issues without some solutions, I don't think that's being responsive. So I think there's both a time component and a substantive component to responsiveness. But look, Jay, let's, I, look, I've read all the books on the you know four-hour work week and everything else to control your schedule. You know, one of the things, I, I stopped putting out-of-office messages on my email about a year ago because I just didn't like the underlying message was, well, I'm really not that available right now. I just try to be available as much as I possibly can. And it's hard. I mean, the demand for what we do right now is, is sky high. It has been for a while. Doesn't seem to be letting up anytime soon. But clients need problems solved. And if I don't, if I'm not responsive, somebody else will do it. And that's something that I think is is something we've got to really continue to 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 learn in the profession and to pass on to folks coming behind us is in the professional services world. If you don't take the call, somebody else will. Mm -hmm. So let's take that call. Yeah, yeah, and I think it is. It does. You have to kind of read the situation too and understand your client. I mean, there is the situation where a client has something urgent and hopefully they identify when that's the case, or at least if you're uncertain, it's, it's important to clarify that. Um, but there are situations where it's a non-urgent question or request. And, and in those situations, to the extent you can't get back immediately with a substantive answer, you at least want to set expectations about when you will get back and then actually follow through on what you say. So, I mean, it's a distinction. I don't know if you have anything additional to add to that or, or disagree with that in any way, but I feel like that's typically a good way to handle things as opposed to, you know, because what, what, what the client wants is peace of mind. They can move on to their next to-do item, I think. And if they're uncertain as to whether you receive their response, when they're going to get some sort of response back, setting an expectation as to when they'll get the question answered, that becomes a problem. Well, today's a good example, my friend. I'll give you a real world example. I've got several requests from clients that I can tell that by the nature of the request are not urgent but I'm also facing multiple calls today for workplace injuries and actually even one fatality 
uh, that require my immediate attention. And so, yeah, that requires me knowing my client, but also getting back say, and, and saying to them, hey, I understand this is very important to you. Let me acknowledge that. Uh, I need to pay attention to some other things today that, that have to take priority. Can I get back to you on Tuesday or Wednesday of next week? Something along those lines. And almost always I get back at, yep, just want to make sure it's on your on your radar. And then I need to make a note, of course, to not forget it and come back to it uh, or get someone else. And I have often been doing that more and more lately where I, I pass it on and say, hey, can you get this started for me? I'll check with you in a couple of days. So it is that responsiveness because I do think you you nailed it, Jay, when you say that especially in-house lawyers want to know that the problem is now off their to-do list or maybe not on their to-do list, but it has a different flag, but it's yeah. on mine. And I will get back to them and I will help solve that problem. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great way to put it. So in terms of, you know, some of the, you know, I think those resourcefulness, practicality, responsiveness, these are, again, I think the really important pillars that apply um, kind of across the board. But, you know, there are things that are different, like communication preferences, um, how they want status reports. Maybe they want a phone call. Maybe they want an email with a, it's, maybe they want a lot of detail. Maybe they want a few bullet points. Um, how do you go about, uh, and, and how do you suggest other lawyers go about understanding those preferences um, so that they can actually provide that one size fits one client service uh, to a client? I, I don't think you can do it effectively, Jay, unless you know your clients. And I, I think that as much as we all like to systemize and make processes and you're, you're great at it, don't let the systems and the processes get you so focused on your system and your process, you lose sight of the client, the person whom you're serving, because they may have different preferences and maybe your system is set up to go across an average, but this particular client may need things done in a different way. So just be very mindful. Again, we're, we're in the professional services world. And I'm always mindful of the fact that we charge a premium for what we do. And especially in the world in which I am, there's not a lot of options for clients. So I understand that this is an investment of their time, their effort, their energy, their money. I try to be a good steward of them all. Um, but you've really got to know your client and spend time with them, get to know them. And I know that I know that for many lawyers, you know, they think of client service as something primarily that's done within the bounds of a particular legal engagement, right? Yeah. A litigator has a case uh, with, a, with a client. There's frequent, you know, daily communication happening back and forth. There's lots of emails, you know, perhaps phone calls. Um, client service is, is very active um, and there's lots of engagement and communication. An area where I think some people struggle is when there's not something active going on. Um, but I, I believe that it's no less important to provide client service um, if you want to nurture and, and grow and, and guard that relationship uh, when there's not something happening. Uh, so I, I oftentimes call this uh, adding that, trying to add value beyond the billable hour for clients. Um, and I don't know, you know, if that's something you think about, um, if you have any thoughts uh, or have any advice to share about, you know, how one might think about providing client service when there's not actually a, a legal matter that's currently happening with a particular client? Well, I, I think of this, let, let me put this in terms, Jay, let's put it in, in the context of an OSHA fatality case, mm -hmm. because you're right. When that happens, when I get the call that there's, there's been someone who's lost their life on a client job site, you know, I'm boots and jeans, I'm on my way. 
Hence the name, by the way, Dirty Steel to Boost for the podcast. So thanks for the shout out there. But I'm on my way. I'm going to deploy. We're going to be working intensely with this client over the next few days and weeks uh, as we get ready for OSHA to show up. But every single step of the way, I am being mindful of what could we do to help this client be ready to make sure that, number one, help them make sure that something like this doesn't happen again. In a very close second, what can they do to be better prepared? Because almost all companies can be better prepared. You know, very few sit around and wonder what's the world going to be like if we have somebody that is killed on a construction site today or in our plant or or in our facility. But there's always something to do. So I think about it during the engagement. Litigation, I think, is the same thing. I think lawyers really should be having that ongoing conversation when you have your clients peak attention about what maybe we could have, would have, could have, should have done to have avoided this or to be ready for the next time. So when the matter does end, and they all do come to an end, when the matter does come to an end, you've got some bullet points to discuss with your client. Okay, now that that's over and we've handled that, let's talk about, and in my world, it's training. It's let's talk about taking a look at your protocol for what to do if OSHA shows up. It's training your safety team. It's training your site supervision. The biggest gap I see in my world right now is that folks that are on a construction site or in a plant, if OSHA shows up, they don't know what OSHA can and can't do. And so when the officer, the compliance officer shows up and shows their credentials, you know, they sometimes say it's a badge. It's not, they're not law enforcement. And there's a lot that put, there's a lot of limits on what OSHA can and can't do. But our plant management, our site supervision at construction sites, they either put up their hand and say, you can't come in, you're from OSHA, not a good choice. Or the worst choice is come on in and they roll out the red carpet Right. And they don't they don't exercise their rights. And so for me in that world, it really I'm doing a lot of that these days, which is clients that I've handled OSHA matters for um, or in advising them on an ongoing basis on OSHA stuff, workplace safety and health issues. It really is that focused training. So I think training is something that lawyers can really do across many practice areas to help not just the lawyers understand more about the law but to help the folks that are running the operations understand more about what your particular area of the law is in practical terms. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, great, great advice. I think I'm also interested in your view. Um, I, I, I believe this to be true, but I want to get your take on it, which is um, there's also uh, kind of to build on that. There's also a role for marketing in this as well, in terms of client service especially marketing that's more in the form of thought leadership, uh, right? Where you're, you're, you're creating something that is, hopefully will be seen by, by many clients, prospective clients, and, and helping them to understand some of these issues, uh, learn, um, you know, get better, uh, make improvements in their business, whatever the case might be. Uh, and I think that, you know, from your perspective, I, I'm wondering, does you, do you think that your LinkedIn content, your podcast, and other forms of marketing, public speaking that you do, play a role in kind of affirming some some clients belief that you provide great service for them? I think they do, Jay, but I will tell you this, I don't sell on any of those platforms. Yeah. I, what I do is I, I just educate. I try to help people understand things and learn things more. And I've really been excited about it. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, I went from LinkedIn, I think I had around a thousand followers when you and I started working together. Now I'm around 10,000 and and uh, now, you know, the OSHA attempt to have the the vaccine and testing alternative mandate that went to the Supreme Court, I think that was kicking in 45, 50,000 views a day at, at, at the peak. So, but what I was writing about, Jay, was helping 
I think the audience understand more about an area that maybe they thought they understood, but were wrong about some things. And, there, and you call that a myth. And there are a lot of myths in the law. I suspect this is true in other practice areas too, but in OSHA, a lot of people don't know that an OSHA citation is not final, that there is another agency out there that actually reviews contested OSHA citations. So when you take an instance like that, or, or the other one is like I hinted at a moment ago, the fact that OSHA doesn't have, you know, without a warrant and without an agreement, OSHA can't just show up and shut down your job site or to do anything without your agreement or a warrant. Well, that's something that surprises people. So I just try to use those platforms to educate and to share. And I try to do it in real time. Oftentimes, my LinkedIn posts come from a job site or a meeting I'm in or interviews I'm in, you know, in doing an inspection. So I try to do it real world. But more than anything, I think of what would be helpful today to someone who has to face this, has to face OSHA or may already be facing OSHA. I think any lawyer in any practice area could take that same model and be thinking, what would be helpful today to someone in my practice area do their job? Yeah, and that brings to mind uh, an important point, which I would encourage people to go back to your first appearance on our podcast, which I'll link to in the show notes, um, which is that I, I think client service and, and the delivery of legal services just becomes a heck of a lot easier if you are serving similarly situated clients over and over dealing with similar situations, you know, having a having a narrow niche as opposed to, you know, kind of a broad generalist practice, because, you know, I think that informs how you uh, can effectively deliver services of all varieties uh, from client service to client work product. So I, that, that's just one final observation. I think all of these things are sort of intertwined in that way. Um, Philip, well, any- let me. Go ahead. Let me comment on that. I think that what you may think is a niche may no longer be a niche uh, Mm -hmm. because I started practicing law in 1995 as a labor and employment lawyer, which used to be a niche, Mm -hmm. now no longer is because there are niches within the niche. And even at my firm at Ogletree, we have specialists in immigration benefits, you know, various forms of discrimination and and we have so many experts in, you know, executive compensation agreements, you name it. If it's labor and employment law, traditional labor, we've got experts. I'm the OSHA guy or one of the OSHA guys. We have plenty of them, lots of them. And I think that that's what I started doing, you know, probably 10 years ago is to begin to do something that I find, as you recently commented in one of your posts, it feels second nature to me. You know, I it's not that OSHA is not hard. It just is a good fit for me. I do understand it. And it just seems to be an area that is uh, simpler for me to understand and to grasp and to deliver, you know, high level of value and quality uh, to clients. And so that's what I think that that folks should be thinking about on a niche is, you know, finding that area that you, as you said the other day, that you think you feel second nature to you, but might be strange or unattractive to others. That's a real niche. Yeah, yeah. Completely agree. That's uh, that's a great way to put it. Um, all well, right, I so- still do. I guess I should say I still do some employment law and, and litigation. It is just very it's very limited engagements now only for real, you know, only for an occasional client and an occasional select circumstance. I don't even know if I have a description of it. Ninety nine percent of what I do these days is OSHA work and uh, and we do a lot of it. So that that niche is sort of evolved over time. But it is interesting. And I think folks out there probably have the same dilemma I had, which is, well, I thought it was in a niche. And then you find out there's another level to the niche. 
yeah, you can you can keep going down the rabbit hole. I mean, some at some point you can niche yourself out of of, of relevance, but that you got to go pretty deep in order to do that. I find so. Um, well, Philip, this was really valuable. Um, I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners did too. Uh, any final thoughts? Anything we didn't cover that you want to mention? And and if not, um, where would you point people to kind of learn more about you and and follow along with your content? Well, I, we'll just take up that point there, Jay. I mean, certainly follow along on LinkedIn. I, I don't do daily posts as much as I used to, but I do try to post a couple of two or three times a week. Uh, the podcast uh, is Dirty Steel Toe Boots. It's through the Ogletree uh, podcast uh, platform. Uh, you can still find it on all the regular usual podcast places. Just look for Ogletree and uh, you'll find that my colleagues are doing some great podcasts as well. And then, of course, the firm bio, which I try to keep a little bit more updated and lively than most firm bios um, and my mine in the past and make it a little more robust. But, you know, that's uh, that's the ways that I try to keep in touch. I do a private email list from time to time. I don't make that one publicly available to everybody. But if you're a client or a close contact, that would be the next level. But that's not one I make out to put out there publicly. That's an invite only list that uh, there's your teaser for any listeners who might want to be on that one. But. Uh, no, Jay, I think that, I mean, I really appreciate the work that you that you and Tom do here. I think you've really developed a community here of folk, like-minded folks, me and others, and that come together and learn from each other. So I learn from you all the time. So please keep it up, my friend. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that for sure. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. I, I appreciate your time. I know how busy you are. So um, thanks again. And, and to our listeners, thank you for joining us. And um, we'll see you hopefully next week for another episode. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.